Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Mornings Podcast. I'm your Saturday host, Sterling Fox, and today, Dr. Anna Wolak from Masks for BC talks about the move to mask up everyone in BC from the age of five and up, coming really soon. Also, employment lawyer Dan Belcarin talks about vaccine mandates in workplaces, and MLA Mike Bernier will talk about the hostility he's receiving for doing his job of promoting vaccinations. Here we go. Joined on the line by Dr. Anna Wolak, who is a family physician, assistant professor at UBC, and a member of Masks for BC and Masks for Canada. Dr. Wolak, good morning. Thanks for waking up early to do this with us. It's important stuff. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure, Anna. Thank you very much. Uh, Let's talk about the uh, mask mandate for all people in BC now, five and up. It's not official this morning. It's expected to become official on Tuesday when Dr. Henry will deliver her post-Thanksgiving weekend update. What are you expecting her to say? Well, I'm hoping that she makes the mandate um, for the age five and up to align with basically what she had announced last week, requiring masks in schools for kids age five and up. We know that kids can wear masks. We know that they can wear them well. I've seen a number of kids wear them even better than adults. Some adults wear them. Mm -hmm. So it only flows naturally um, that we protect the kids both in and out of school. I think it's uh, perhaps overstated, over anxiety, perhaps in terms of parents. Parents seem to be more having more difficulties with their children wearing masks than the children themselves. Doctor Wolak, as you say, it's just what you have to do to go to school, and they're so happy to be back at school they pretty much stand on their head if you ask them. Exactly. Um, like my kids don't like wearing shoes I'm in every morning. It's a fight to get the shoes on. I'm like, I don't care. You put your shoes on, you're going to school. Sure. And now this makes it easier for everybody, and especially some of the parents as well, who want their kids to wear masks, but there may be some peer pressure. Now it's like, nope, it's the rule. You have to, you have to put your mask on to go to school. Uh, by the way, um, face shields do not substitute for masks. Is that correct, Dr. Wallach? They do not substitute for masks, no, because they they are gaping. They still have holes in the side, so they do not substitute for masks. And when it comes to masks and little kids, and they seem to be okay with them, especially now that the mask industry, and it's become a thing, has custom masks for smaller people that fit well, um, are there any instructions vis-a-vis what type of masks small people should wear? They need to wear a mask that fits properly. That's the biggest thing. So if they're still using the masks that they used last year, they need to be changed because by now those have stretched and have holes and are probably worn through. So I would make sure that new masks are bought for the school year or for the rest of the, for around, around everywhere as well now. But also ideally, if possible, N95 equivalent masks because we want to protect those, we want to protect them breathing in as well. So those are pricey, so that's why I say a um, that's an if possible scenario. Mm-hmm. But for sure, they need to make sure if they're wearing the cloth masks that they need to fit properly. That's the biggest thing that we need to see. Have you uh, you talked a little bit about peer pressure earlier, uh, Doctor Wolak? But uh, have you are you aware of any mask resistance uh, at the school level? I mean, this is something parents project on their kids, unfortunately. But have you are you aware of any negative interaction? between parents and, and, and their educators? I have not heard of it, but I do know that a lot of the, when I talk to little kids, and I have three of my own, so I talk and 
see a lot of their peers. The anxiety isn't at the children's level. If you tell them to wear a mask, they'll wear a mask. Sure. But sometimes they're saying, oh, my parents say I don't need to wear a mask. And there's a bit of resistance there. So um, I don't see it from a parent educator level. And I hope never to see it because the educators just want to get your kids, keep your kids safe, get them educated and happy at school. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, I haven't heard of any problems yet, but unfortunately I anticipate that, you know, just like there was one with um, when, when they were talking at the beginning of the year and people were protesting at schools, I worry that that's something that will, will happen. And now that the mandate is there, hopefully that makes it, that makes it harder to, to question this because then it's not up to the individual schools enforcing things. Now it's like, well, it's the province. This is the law of the land. This is what we have to do. Indeed. A couple of statistics from yesterday, one regrettable, and that was uh, based on the total of uh, the accumulating total. Uh, there have now been recorded over 2,000 deaths directly attributed to COVID-19 here in British Columbia. That was uh, statistic number one yesterday, Dr. Wallach. Number two was over 82% of all British Columbians, 12 and over, who are eligible to be vaccinated are now fully vaccinated yes so the 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 vaccine uptake is a big thing that we have this year that we didn't have last year mm-hmm. so we are trying to push that but again for the, the the mask mandate is important because for the under 12s this is the only layer of protection that we can we can give them so masks for BC and masks for Canada, this physician group that's been pushing this initiative for quite some time must be a satisfying moment to be a member of that group. What got you started in the first place and got you so wound up and, and becoming a member of this group that was pushing for this in the first place? Well, at the beginning of everything and at the beginning of the pandemic, when we saw that the deaths were rising, the numbers were rising, and we knew that, um, especially from SARS decades ago, we knew that this was airborne, and we, I could not figure out why there was no um, personal protection that we could um, offer for. And I'd heard about all these people who were trying to wear masks but were getting abused as well. And so I knew that first we needed to make sure the education got out there so that mm-hmm. people were protecting themselves. But the other thing was as well, with the mandate, it would have made things a lot easier and there'd be fewer fights and fewer. And the hope was we could catch this earlier before everything hit the fan. Sure. And of course, there was a, there was some confusion at the beginning of it all because one can remember fairly easily Dr. Tam uh, in one of those early press conferences uh, saying basically masks, not maybe not such a big deal here. We're still working on it. We're still learning about it. But so far, maybe not. And of course, a lot of people went, OK, all right. Well, when she says maybe or when it comes to something more than that, that will be will be informed. But that allowed uh, Doubt, room for doubt, or at least confusion initially, didn't it? Definitely. And one of the things we've learned over the last 18 months is that, you know, science can... One of the things is that we've never... This society, we've never lived through the evolution of science. It's it's just a, such a quick pace, and there's a lot of news by press release and that sort of thing. And, you know, if, in physicians, we're used to 
one body saying this today and then, oh, wait, no, you know, we've done the research and it's changed tomorrow. We're used to that, but right. we know the public isn't. So mm. that's why Masks for Canada was formed, because we wanted to be able to advocate and say and amplify whatever whatever voices there were to say, no, 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 this is what we need to do now. And we get it's confusing. And here is the science behind it. And here are our infographics and things and we were trying to hopefully make things a lot easier for people how long do you think uh, dr wallach and especially now that we have as you say the vaccine intake uh, numbers are rising and now we're getting all british columbians aged five and over to mask up uh, in all public places including schools of course how long do you think we're going to have to live with all of this anna this masking business is this kind of something that we just better come around to kind of like seat belts i still hate seat Seatbelts, but I, I, I buckle up when I get in my car without even thinking about it. Are we going to get to that with masks? Do you think? I don't think so. I think it's not going to be something that will be over overnight, for one thing. But once we get the kids vaccinated, once we get that all-important vaccine into the littlest ones of ours, and we hit a ninety-five percent. Um, herd immunity and barring, and that includes the little ones, not just the over 12. Uh-huh. Um, once we get to that number, including the little ones and barring any further variants developing, because we also need to look at some vaccine, global vaccine equity, um, then we can look at this. Um, we can start looking at this going, going behind us. So that's why we at Mass for Canada, we're also pushing for, for vaccine uptake because you know, we we you know we we push for masks. We advocate masks, but you know, we would be more than happy to put all this work behind us and say, nope, it's over, it's done. But sure. we're not there yet. Um, but but we're hope hopefully hopefully this will this will be a, a long memory, like not too long from now. Indeed, Dr. Anna Wolak, thank you so much for this this morning. Words of reassurance. Very early in the day, we do appreciate it very much. It's time to turn our attention to uh, a story that is front and center across British Columbia. And once again, yesterday, yet another group announced vaccine mandates. And we're talking TransLink, saying by November 29th, their employees here need to be vaccinated. So what about vaccines, vaccination mandates, and the workplace? It's time to talk to an employment lawyer. We're lucky to have with us Dan Balcarin from Samfiru Tamarkin LLP. Mr. Balcarin is here in Vancouver. Dan, thanks for joining us this morning, and welcome. Thank you for having me, Sterling. Well, you've been on the radio a lot, Dan, because this is a, this is a very hot topic, to say the very least. Uh, TransLink yesterday announcing its mandate for its employees. So if I work for TransLink this morning, Dan, I've got till November 29th to be fully vaxxed. What if I don't want to? Right, right. Well, this thing is moving so fast. I wasn't even actually aware that 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 Translink has now uh, has now mandated uh, vaccines. So I believe all Translink employees are unionized. So in that case, I don't have a magic answer for you. I think Sterling empo- uh, uh, Translink employees would need to speak to their union representative. Right. Most most of their rights flow from their collective bargaining agreements. So they're going to have to talk to their union representative about that. Okay. Can we talk about that? Because you're you're right. You've already identified two completely different types of workplaces, Dan: the yeah. unionized workplace and the non union workplace. So if I'm in a workplace and I am a member of the union and the, my working conter- conditions and terms are governed by my contract, what is my contract? What does a typical union con- 
contract say about something like vaccines, if anything well, at all? Well, I suspect, I mean, each one of them is going to be different. That's why I'm, I'm encouraging those who are unionized to speak to their union representatives. Um, but uh, I suspect most of them don't have anything about anything like vaccines because we've never had a pandemic. Exactly, we've never, yeah. We've never contemplated this before. So, it, but it depends on on you know what the union as a collective is is sort of um, is saying and and what they've decided. So, you know, I, I I've talked to some unionized uh, employees, and a lot of times what I'm hearing is that the union is not. Um, they're not really bending either on the uh, mandatory vaccines and, and they're requiring their union representatives to get, I mean, that's just hearsay, but sure. they're requiring their union representatives to get vaccinated. So I, I don't know how much in, in, in situations where there's a mandate from an employer uh, in unionized situation, I don't know um, if there's a lot of flexibility coming out of the union. Yeah, it's interesting, though. I, I would agree that I, I would be quite surprised, frankly, Dan, if the majority of union contracts contained any language about pandemics and vaccines. This is really, really new and utterly not contemplated even two years ago when they signed the most recent deal. Well, exactly. And it's not just union contracts. I mean, we, we have been talking about unionized employees, but, but, you know, the vast majority of employees aren't unionized mm-hmm. and none of their employment contracts contemplate that. I mean, there are some exceptions, you know, like nurses and, and so forth, although they're unionized as well for the most part. Um, but, but there might be some exceptions. There are some contracts that say, you know, employers can change policies uh, you know, as they want in the future. I don't, I don't know if that would, would be upheld in court to allow, you know, an, an imposition of a vaccine policy where you lose your job and you get no severance. But, but um, you know, no, no employment contracts generally contemplate this. Now, they will going forward, right? Because, sure. uh, you know, that's something that people have to think about when they take their take hardline positions on no, I'm not. Because I talk to people every day who, aren't get, who refuse to get the vaccine, uh, and then they're asking me if they have viable severance claims, and a lot of them do. Uh, and we can talk about that in a minute and, and, and why that is. But, you know, one thing, and I'm encouraging them all to think about, you know, there's, there's you know, do you need to come to a lawyer like me and, 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 and go after a severance claim? Um, but there's also, you know, you need to be able to put food on your table, right? And, and you know, if you lose your job now, that's one thing. Are you going to be able to come back into the workforce? Mm-hmm. What's that going to look like when almost every employer going forward is going to have employment contracts that say you need to have, you need to be double vaccinated? You know, and, and, and so at least a lot of them are going to be saying that. And how hard is it going to be for these people to find jobs? And, and right now, uh, for a lot of people, um, this matter is less pressing because the government is being very generous with, with EI benefits. Uh, but that, that largesse is not going to last forever. And, and so, uh, you know, it might be more, a more pressing and substantial economic problem for people in the future. Yeah, indeed. We're talking with employment lawyer Dan Belkarin. Uh, Dan, let's uh, turn the coin, if you because I've had some calls, and we're going to open up our phone lines here, too, this morning. It is. Okay, let's do it, Phil. 68 Oh, 604-280-9898. Sorry, Dan. 604-280-9898. I've had a, a restaurant owner recently on the radio say, you know, uh, about, you know, this is about checking your QR codes at the door and all the rest of it. And the restaurant owner in the middle of the conversation, Dan, said, you know, I don't have the right to ask my employees if they're vaccinated or not. And yet, at the door, I have to challenge each and every one of my customers as to whether they've been vaccinated or not. What's up with that? Why does the restaurant owner not have the right, Dan, to know whether his employees are vaccinated or not? Well, he's actually exactly correct as far as my understanding of the provincial health order. So the provincial health order covers 
gatherings of 50 more or more people, but it doesn't cover the employees. It doesn't cover the employees of the establishment that's hosting the gathering of 50 more people. So okay. that, that's a political question. It was government policy, I suspect, because you would see uh, mass unemployment or, or substantial unemployment in certain sectors, and the government didn't want to cross that bridge. I'm sure that um, certain sectors are more prone to um, their employees not being vaccinated than other sectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure there there was discussion with those groups about that. You know, there, it, it's it's tough. On, it's, it's a really tough time for everybody, obviously, but it's, it's very tough on employers because they have to balance. They have to balance the their need to to make money and to make money. They need to have full employment or sure. mostly full employment during a time when let's face it, it's, it's really hard to get employees right now. Um, it, 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 there is a labor shortage going on right now, which is intimately connected to the pandemic and, and sort of the government uh, financial taps that are occurring right now uh, versus they need to not only do they have a requirement at law to keep their employees safe, uh, but they need to demonstrate to their customers, particularly if there are physical customers coming into a store sure. or a restaurant or something like that, that, that those customers are going to be safe and that they're doing everything to keep them safe. You know, I, I can see very easily if if a business were to get a reputation for uh, being cavalier with COVID safety, that that business would lose half its customers overnight. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, from a restaurant a customer point of view, too, there's no problem checking the thing at the door. That's why you've got it. All those, but is it not reasonable for a person entering a restaurant to ask the person who checks their QR code? Well, how about you? Are the kitchen staff vaccinated? Well, I mean, reasonable in a public-to-public sense. Uh, I mean, I, I can't really answer that question, but but is there uh, a right for that person to just, is there a requirement at law for that person to disclose whether or not they've been vaccinated? No. So government health mandate doesn't require that disclosure. But you can understand from a, from a consumer standpoint how that might be a legitimate concern. Well, then you vote, you vote with your wallet, as you always do. You're very powerful as a consumer. If, if you ask that question and you don't get the answer you want, you can always patronize some other business. I'm Sterling Fox. Dan Balcarin is my guest this half hour. Mr. Balcarin is an employment lawyer here in Vancouver with Sam Firu Tumarkin, LLP. And uh, we're talking, of course, about vaccines and workplace mandates, those sorts of things. Susie joins us on the line from Coquitlam. Susie, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm just intrigued by something that Dan said regarding um, the vaccine as a requirement for employment. Can an employer um, advertise that they, like, what's the legality around that, advertising that they require um, potential applicants to be double vaxxed? And then um, he mentioned, you know, as part of the employment contract, can you talk about that a little bit more and what kind of trouble can an employer get into um, sure. <laughs> making sure. that? No, it's a great question, Susie, and I have no idea. What's the story here, Dan? Well, I'll tackle the second question uh, substantively. The first question, I'll say I, I, I don't know. I, I don't practice in that area. I would suspect if I were a business such as a restaurant, I would advertise very loudly that I, all my employees were, were double vaccinated. I don't know if there's any consequences behind anything like that i i, I wouldn't think so but no but, as but a, I, and I, I think the question dan was specifically about the ad the actual ad in the paper uh any applicants to restaurant x must oh. be fully vaccinated well, that's a great question um does that discriminate against you on the basis of uh a perceived disability exactly. under the uh, bc human rights code i mean you know the answer to that question right now is we don't know um, the we haven't had cases go through the BC Human Rights Tribunal yet on the on the idea that so 
where where that will really come to the fore. So you can't be discriminated against on the basis of a disability or perceived disability. So if you're not vaccinated, is that tantamount to, um, you know, the employer suspecting that you may have COVID and therefore not hiring you, or if you have a job already terminating you because you may have COVID? I think there's a there's a disagreement within legal circles about that. You know, we've we've sort of taken the position that it, it will be discriminatory, but but we don't have any decisions on that yet. But it's entirely possible that could be a problem. Yes. Well, I suppose, and again, with more and more headlines, and and again at the federal and provincial and municipal level, groups being compelled to be vaccinated in order to retain their status as an employee. With more and more of this coming to the fore, Dan, it's uh, it's logical that people like Susie would want to know well. If I'm a small business and and I want to you know establish certain a certain degree of credibility, uh, is it legal for me to insist that anyone applying for work at my shop must be vaccinated? Yeah, and, and so yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that because we haven't had any decisions in the tribunal yet. At least as far as it's uh, it is whether or not it's it's discriminatory. I think the better question, or not the better question, the question I'm more able to answer right now is the second question, which is. Um, you know, if you already have a job and then and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, because you were asking questions about the employment contract itself. Right. If you already if you already have a job uh, and then all of a sudden your employer says you must get vaccinated or you lose your job, what are your rights? OK, so so that's that's a uh, that was your question. Correct, Susie? That's, or, Susie's not um, that the employment for a new hire, that part of that employment contract says you must be double vaxxed to accept this job because I don't think we can for employee existing employees we don't really have much um, you know <laughs> you know being able to force an existing employee to take the vaccine we don't have any um, no recourse right there well, yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah so I mean what I'm encouraging everyone that I speak to uh, who I speak to about this matter is, is to look seriously about the matter and decide what's important to you right because the if you're 57 years old, let's say, and you want to get to retirement, you have no university education, you're making $85,000 a year, your your statistical odds of coming back into the workforce and getting another job that pays you that much are are almost zero. And yes. so and so you have to get to retirement. And if you lose that job, that is an absolute catastrophe. And so you have to take a really hard look about whether or not you are going to get that vaccine or, you know, if you can find some sort of amicable solution. And, and so you know, I encourage people right from the start to, to figure out what their objective is, because when you get someone like me involved, it's about how much money can I get for you after termination. But for many of your listeners, termination itself is going to be a disaster. It's going to be a financial disaster and it's going to be a career disaster. Mm-hmm. So they're going to they're strategically they're going to want to try to put, uh, you know, most of their eggs in the bucket of the basket of, of saving their job. And so for for some people, you know, you can come up with some sort of accommodation with the employer. Now, it's not always possible, but, you know, if, if your employer employs thousands of people in a healthcare setting, I mean, that's a bad example because there's a mandatory government um, vaccine policy mm-hmm. or mandate in place. Um, but, you know, a factory or something like that, the, the, the policy exemptions for, for getting not getting vaccines are going to be zero, most likely. But if you work for a a small, you know, 80 person tech corporation, you know, you have five good years or 10 good years in the tank, you could probably see kick the tires on phoning up their boss, your boss and saying, listen, I love it here. I've been here for a long time. I can't get the vaccine for X, Y, Z reasons. Um, I've been working remotely for six months. Can I just work remotely? I know we have a new vaccine policy. Can, can I work remotely for six more months? I'll be evaluate my vaccine status then. Right. I don't want to lose my job. You know, can we work something out? 
and you might be able to. They, and if you're a good employee, they, they're not going to want to lose you anyway. And that would be a much better outcome for you than, uh, okay, you, you lost your job. Do you have termination rights? And yeah. I mean, the short answer, the short answer to that is you, you absolutely might if there's no government mandate. I just want to cover something very clearly. If there is a government mandate in place that employees in your sector must get vaccinated, your right to severance is, a, you know, the, the, the safety cushion at the end of losing your job is extinguished effectively. So it's a very serious situation. Yeah, you've used the word yet a few times in our conversation, Dan, relating to uh, we don't yet have an opinion from the tribunal on this, but you get the feeling, or I get the feeling, based on the number of yets so far in this conversation, (laughs) that tribunal's getting a little backed up, and uh, they're going to be awfully busy. Tell us about the backlog right now. Sure. There, there are backlogs um, everywhere right now in our, our court system and with the tribunal and with the Employment Standards Branch, um, you know, that that resulted from the initial uh, COVID-19 pandemic and everything shutting down. Our courts shut down for, I can't remember how long it was, but but they, they shut down for a long period of time. And yeah. no one no one has worked their way through the backlog yet. So, you know, I don't want to comment specifically on any any group, but but, but if you bring a matter before a tribunal or a court, uh, you're going to be looking at a substantial, substantial justice delay. Right. You know, and, and, and so just be prepared for that. You know, the, 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 the pandemic itself, uh, you know, someone asked me this question uh, or commented on this uh, the other day. Pandemic itself it moves quickly. New variants show up. Government policies change. Courts move very, very slowly. Indeed. You know, and, and whether or not a lot of these government mandates are legal, those are going to be challenged in in every province and, and across the country, I imagine, and some of them are going to work their way up to the Supreme Court of Canada because it's it's you know, the most important economic issue that I you know that I can remember, uh, and and that's absolutely going to be adjudicated on by the Supreme Court of Canada and to determine what is the law with respect to the legality of the infringement on your Section Seven rights, Section Seven of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, your your right to life, liberty, and security of the person. Sure, we we won't know that for a long period of time, and and it, I imagine, and I certainly think the government is banking on this. By the time we do know, it won't matter because the pandemic will be effectively over. Interesting. Uh, Dan, only a couple of minutes left here, and you've referenced severance a couple of times and how your severance uh, could be affected with respect to mandates and vaccines in the workplace. Roll that out a little bit for us. I've got about a minute here. Tell us how, how, that, uh, how that works. Sure, sure. So the thing you, the, the sort of the, the ground floor concept you need to understand is Normally, your only legal right in the event of your termination is non-union employees. Your 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 only legal right in the event of your termination is severance. That's mm-hmm. why you con- you contact someone like me, uh, and and I assess what your your employment contract says, and then what your general legal position is, and then I you know I, I help enforce your right to um, you know the most severance that you can you can get at law. Okay, but but what government mandates. Uh, uh, effectively do is they come in and they extinguish your right to seven. So it's, it's very, very serious. The only legal protection you have, the only protection you have at law in the event that you lose your job, which is a, a financial catastrophe for many employees, Indeed, um, the government has effectively extinguished that. Now, it's a patchwork across Canada. You know, so uh, in British Columbia, for example, um, you know, long-term health care workers and uh, long-term uh, care home workers and, and health care workers are required to get a vaccine. But right. there's no provincial mandate for other employees. Uh, you know, Mr. Trudeau has passed uh, a mandate for some federally regulated employees. 
Um, so it, it changes in different areas, uh, federally regulated employees and air, marine, and rail transportation. So it, because of that patchwork is changing every day, it's very complicated. My firm has put together a, a, a helpful website that your listeners might actually um, really take some value from. It's called covidrights.ca. Okay. Um, I, I go there all, every day. I check. I, I encourage people to do so. You can see what's what's changing, um, you know, in terms of these government government mandates on a daily basis. It's called covidrights.ca. Excellent. Um, and uh, so definitely you can go there. And if you ever need to get a hold of me, you can do so at, at employmentlawyer.ca. I'm, I'm open to taking any questions if any of your listeners want to send me an email. Well, we appreciate your getting up a little early on a Saturday morning, Dan, to do this with us. It's a terribly important subject, and we do appreciate the, the light that you've shed on it today for us. Fantastic. Well, well hey, thanks for having me. Joined on the line by the MLA for Peace River South. A pleasure to welcome Mike Bernier back to CKNW Weekend Mornings. Mike, good morning. Hey, good morning, Sterling. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's good to have you back with us, Mike. Let's uh, let's just backtrack a little bit uh, because you uh, were talking about the situation, the hostility you're dealing with on a daily basis by simply doing your job as the MLA for the region, promoting vaccines and Im- immunization of the population, and you're getting a lot of really harsh feedback. But let's talk about your personal experience with COVID nineteen. This is not some some abstract notion for you at all. You've been there, Mike. Yeah, I, I was there. It was uh, really bad timing while I was uh, waiting for my age category, waiting to uh, get vaccinated. I was on the list and uh, yeah, just really bad timing. Uh, a couple of days before I actually uh, had the vaccination, I contracted COVID-19. I was, I'll say, quite lucky though. I was, um, you know, I had symptoms and uh, pretty rough shape for only around 10 days, but uh, but came through it. Uh, unlike some people who get some, some pretty severe uh, um, conditions. Uh, I was one of the lucky ones. Indeed. Now, you said you got this, this you, you contracted COVID-19 a couple of days before you were scheduled to get your vaccine. Because you had COVID, Mike, did they make you wait until you were better before they vaccinated you? Or did they give your vaccine anyway on the spot? Yeah, actually, it's, uh, it was one of those very awkward situations, um, you know, to be to get really in depth on it, I guess it's, uh, uh, I actually had the vaccine. I started showing symptoms about a day after the vaccine. Mm. And that's when they did the testing to say that I had it probably even when I went in to get my vaccine. So it was one of those, uh, very unfortunate situations that I was, um, contagious, uh, contracted it, uh, but had no symptoms when I actually went in for the vaccine. So mm-hmm. at first I thought it was a reaction to the vaccine, actually. Sure. Uh, but it ended up not being that way. So, um, you know, it was, did all of the proper measures, uh, you know, quarantined and notified everyone. And, uh, you know, it's it just goes to show, though, that sometimes uh, you can be uh, carrying it or you can have it and not know right away. Well, I suppose, Mike, that makes the, the reaction that you're receiving for doing your job as an MLA for your for your constituents, you are uh, you're doing a fine job, and, and your political you, opponent, the premier, has congratulated you on doing your duty and, and doing it well. Uh, and uh, but at the same time, you're getting an awful lot of negative blowback. For example, a quote here from the mayor of Puskupi, Lorraine Machetti says, "Politicians create divisions in a community, Mike, by encouraging people to get vaccinated because that's a personal choice." This is the kind of blowback you're dealing with on a, on a daily basis. 
you know, at the end of this, we, we still need to be doing what's right. You know, everybody's got uh, different opinions. I, I come from a part of the province that's uh, very strong-willed, a lot of uh, independent, hard-working people that just want to uh, just want to go to work and then put food on the table. But, you know, I think it's important. We've shown since day one uh, with the BC Liberal Caucus uh, that this is not about politics. This is about uh, doing the right thing and getting through this as quickly as possible, working collectively with all uh, levels of government as best we can. And, you know, I think people have seen that uh, as as far as um, our caucus goes. Uh, we've been supportive since day one uh, and almost every turn on trying to work with the government to get through this. Mm-hmm, indeed. And as far as getting that message out, talk to us a little bit about you've, you've described some of to a to a degree, some of the the mindset of people who are in your riding in uh, Peace River South. But talk to us about the Alberta influence as you see it, Mike. Yeah, I, you know, I think a lot of this, and I've been getting a lot of a lot of comments back uh, to me uh, over the last day or two since I've kind of made some comments around uh, the Alberta influence. And, you know, I think, you know, when we're looking at this, a lot of it, it's, you know, you hate to say that rural-urban divide, but it does kind of show its uh, face a little bit on this. Mm-hmm. And being being in the northern, northeastern part of the province, uh, and all of the north is struggling with some of the vaccination rates, mine, my area more than almost anywhere. But being right on the Alberta border, uh, you know, I'll be blunt that the uh, at the onset of this, uh, with an NDP government in place, my part of the world has never supported, endorsed uh, an NDP government. And uh, when that message started coming out, people started looking at the messages from Alberta rather than an NDP government. And at that time, uh, under a conservative government in Alberta, they were uh, uh, giving a different message. Certainly were. Yeah, they weren't as quick, I would say, as British Columbia to uh, talk about vaccinations, to talk about um, uh, quarantine, talking about restrictions to try to help people. And so that was an uphill battle for me because I would say this is what we're doing in B.C. And the argument would come right back at me while I'm five miles from the Alberta border. This is what they're doing. Why why are we having to do something different? Mm-hmm. Well, because you live in B.C. is a good answer, a good place to begin. Uh, Mike, let's talk about uh, vaccination rates. We knew that as of yesterday, slightly just a, a, a tick over 82% of B.C. people eligible of, of 12 plus, 82% percent of bc people are now fully vaccinated that's overall province-wide what's the rate in your region in peace river south well last i looked at it on a good note it's uh, it's going up it's going up slowly uh but last i looked we were we were in the 65 percent uh range okay uh, but we're going up uh, a couple of percentage points per week in fact last week we had more uh, availability for dropping clinics uh, to uh, some um, more flexible hours, I'll say, uh, for people. And, you know, we're seeing a couple of percentage uh, points going up each week, which is going in the right direction. Uh, I went down to the to the clinic and was talking to people. And, uh, you know, we had lineups um, both days that it was open last week. Good. Uh, there was line up, lineups both days, which was great to see. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the resistance and, and where is most of it coming from? You talk about the Alberta influence and so on. Is it, is, do you sense, though, that there is, there is this also this, this misinformation campaign that's so prevalent in other markets? Is, it, is that part of the, the package in Peace River South too, Mike? Well, I think that I think that's 
globally, but I, I definitely know uh, in my riding, if I had a dollar for every time somebody came to me and said, I just saw on Facebook that, right? Uh, you know, I wouldn't have to do this job anymore. That's for sure. It's, it's, um, it, it's been an uphill battle again for factual, accurate information. But this is one of the, the areas that I, where I push back. And, and I'm hearing frustration as well from the medical uh, field because, you know, I spoke with some doctors in my writing yesterday on this exact issue. And they said, at what point have we stopped trusting our physicians? And this is what's got a lot of people, um, you know, uh, I would say upset. Uh, I have had some doctors who have said, you know, where people are coming to see me, I'm telling them that they need to get vaccinated. It's the right thing to do. Right. And, and, you know, some people argue with their physician about what they're reading on social media that contradicts the, the doctor's message. And I think it's really important, Sterling, that we just remind people, and that's what I say, hey, if you don't want to trust me as a politician, that's fair. Sure. Go talk to your, go talk to your doctor, because I know doctors, the majority of them are giving the right message that getting vaccinated is going to help us get through this uh, pandemic and help keep people and their families safe. So... Um, you know, I, I just implore people to, you know, you trust your doctor. If you've got a stomach ache, a headache, or a broken arm, uh, this this is somewhere where we need to be trusting them as well. Uh, final question to you, Mr. Bernier, and we're grateful for your presence with us this morning. And it's the matter of vaccine passports, perhaps not the most popular notion in your riding this weekend on Thanksgiving. But nonetheless, it's been adopted widely in most of the province, and it's making a difference. You want to go to a hockey game, you want to go out to dinner, you're going to have to show that that thing with the QR code and get scanned at the door. Is that making a difference? Is that a, a deal breaker for some people who are so far still holding? holding off in your riding? You know, I'm not sure where people's mindsets are and what their decisions are of what's helping them go and get vaccinated. I'm thinking that may be definitely part of it. People who are uh, on, on the fence, so to speak. Remember, and this is not about people who are anti-vaxxers. Right. These are people who are, these are people who are um, just choosing not to get vaccinated for whatever different reasons and information they have. Uh, but, you know, I've talked to a lot of the restaurants uh, in my riding as well. They definitely have seen an impact. Uh, and I'm sure province-wide this has been an issue, maybe more so in some rural ridings. Uh, definitely been an impact. Uh, some of my restaurants tell me they're down 40-50% sure. uh, in, uh, in their intakes on a daily basis. So, I push back not so much um, on the passport issue, but that's where I go back to government and say, look, I'm supportive. Our BC Liberal Caucus has been supportive since day one on measures to keep people safe. But we're also uh, imploring government to start doing a better job to get uh, support out the door. If we're going to be impacting some of these businesses, it's not so much about pushing back against the passport. It's pushing government to say, what are we doing to help these businesses get through this crisis? Uh, uh, and hopefully it's just a short term again. Uh, but, you know, we need we need to find a way to help them. Indeed we do. Mike Bernier, thanks very much for this. A pleasure to have you back on the program. Keep up the good work. Appreciate that. Have a great Thanksgiving weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live six to nine weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.